Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of My Perfect Failure. Today, we have another amazing guest for you. So my guest today is a retired English teacher, a dedicated student of life, in her teaching career, she's taught thousands of students and mentored many young educators. Through the lens of literature and decades of classroom interaction, she has developed a philosophy of looking at the world with curious and, and a discerning eye. She began her teaching career with more than academic achievement. In addition to her BA in English from Lafayette College, and an MA in education from Harvard University. She served in the US Army as a military intelligence officer. She's joined Teach for America, a nonprofit organization that places teachers in areas suffering from chronic teacher shortages. And she spent seven years teaching in Louisiana, even, where she was named Teacher of the Year. She returned to Bucks County. Pennsylvania as a teacher until her retirement in 2020. So a very, 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 very warm welcome to my perfect failure, Victoria Short. How are you, Victoria? I'm doing well, Paul. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you for making yourself available. And I love the academia theme that runs through the, the lens of, you know, I guess what you've done to date. Yes. And it was kind of a, a long time getting there. College was easy because my parents insisted that I go, and I always loved books. So I thought okay. that's four years I can, I can just read and absorb. Yeah. But then the next six were a bit of a journey to find purpose. Okay. So um, my advice to many people is you don't have to have it all figured out at twenty-two. That's for, yeah. That's for certain. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm sure there's lots of relieved people are just thinking that. You know, I need to know that the um, I need to put all the pieces of the jigsaw together, and it's never, and that can be quite frustrating, can't it? When you think yes. that you should have it all figured out. Yes, and when you look around, and especially in times of social media, yeah. I'm glad I didn't grow up during those times. There wasn't the added pressure, but nowadays you look around, and everyone seems to have such a beautiful curated life, mm, yeah. and the pressure mounts yeah. to do the same. And it doesn't have to be like that at all to lead a fulfilling life. That's the good news. I, I love, I love good news, particularly for everybody listening. We're recording on a Monday. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's good to get new, good news at the start of the week. And what I say, there's there's lots I love about your profile and what you've done today. But something that I just want to kick off with, just because I, I'm always, I was going to actually plagiarize the word, but when you talk about you've had that you've you know you've got this curious and discerning eye that's something that is part of your makeup have you almost had a, a curious energy i think so and it helps perhaps to be an introvert mm. um because i don't necessarily want to be in the fray i want to be on the sidelines watching 
Okay. Um, and learning so much from other people and being an only child and being an introvert, mm. um, I think probably lent itself to that perspective from a mm. very young age. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. So when you, you're being curious, are you just absorbing information and, and you know, taking advantage of, you know, the the opportunity to observe and to view and to see what pieces you want to extract, maybe pieces that maybe aren't for you. Absolutely. And I love picking up little phrases. If I eavesdrop on a conversation and I hear a turn of phrase (laughs) that is unique and I think, wow, that they've captured it and they probably didn't even realize it. Um, But listening to conversations, you get an idea of how people present themselves Mm. in the world and how they look at Mm. life. And I just find it fascinating. And literature was only an extension of that. Yeah, I, I love that explanation. So for everybody listening, the title of this episode is Life Lessons to Live with Purpose with Victoria Short. And we're going to discuss her amazing book, in a, in a second, which I'm keen to know all about the book, the title, because she's got an amazing title and, and discuss a bit more around that. But also you meant, well, I mentioned via your bio that you've also worked in the military intelligence as an intelligence officer was so what part did that come in? Was that had academia, academia already started or had you gone into the intelligence world beforehand or after? I was a year into college and um, I went to a Lafayette College as a private school. And even back in the 80s, it mm. was incredibly expensive. Um, I took out loans for the first year, but I didn't necessarily want to be swamped with debt. Mm. And um, my father, who is English, my mother as well, when he came to this country, he became an American citizen. Um, my mother refused to, but that's another story. But my father became an American citizen and he wanted to serve his new country. And he thought his children should do the same. Um, he only had one child that was me and I wanted to make him proud. So I joined uh, the Reserve Officers Training Corps in college. Um, they absorbed the tuition for the, the last three years And that's how I got into the military. There were training sessions on campus, but then, of course, um, I owed time in the military. And I became a a military intelligence officer. Um, My MOS was 35 Delta, which meant I was a Soviet weapons expert. And I know the times and the threat have all changed. Mm, It's it's hardly relevant anymore. Um, But what I actually served as was a speechwriter. And I learned early on that the colonels do not craft their own speeches. They recruit these lowly second lieutenants to do it for them. So my English degree came in um, very handy for that. Okay. Okay. I, that's always interesting because when you, when you get these guys, you know, can be in the military or politicians that deliver these well-crafted speeches, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that there are people like you that actually pen it and then they get to deliver. Yes. Okay. So, so, so that was part of your life. Then you, you, I guess you decide that, you know, you're going to leave and then you're going to, and was academia the next sort of thread of your, of your life? 
Well, the next six years after I graduated from college is what I call um, my six years in the desert, which is mm. part metaphorical and part quite literal. Yeah. Um, I had to go to Fort Huachuca in Arizona for a six-month stint for training um, as a military intelligence officer. And I became fascinated with the Western part of the country. I'd only really been on the Eastern side. So um, then it became time to get a job. And everyone always said to me when I was majoring in English, well, of course, you'll be an English teacher. And mm. perhaps out of stubbornness, I said, well, I can do a great many <laughs> things. I don't have to be an English teacher. And so I avoided teaching for, for six years and I tried everything else. Um, I went into retail. I went into real estate, you know, all mm. the R's apparently. Yeah. Trying everything, looking for a good fit and nothing. I learned a great deal. Yeah. And I learned that an English major is a great fit in any career. But nothing resonated. Nothing got me excited. Mm. I, I didn't feel passionate. Um, I, I felt grateful to, to have a job and to be mm. learning more, but nothing really, really stuck until I finally relented and listened to what people had been telling me. That's yeah. a common theme in my life, getting advice, which is actually good, and then not following it and then finally coming around. And I thought, well, okay. Um, but I I didn't have a teaching certificate. So rather than going back to school, I really wanted to test the waters. And that's when I joined Teach for America, okay, um, which is sort of like a domestic Peace Corps. And they send people on an emergency certificate, teaching certificate, to areas of the country that don't have enough teachers, either urban or rural. And that's about as much as you get to pick. And I chose rural. And that's when they sent me to Louisiana. Um, I was supposed to be there for two years, a two-year commitment, but I fell in love with the region. So mm. I was actually there for a, a total of seven years. And between my sixth and seventh year is when I took a sabbatical to go to grad school. Um, and that was the year of Harvard. Then I came back to okay. Louisiana. And then finally, I went back to my native Pennsylvania. Okay. So that's a, a lovely little segue adventure on your, yes. on, on your teaching journey. I can imagine that teach for america that must have i imagine that you know it's you know be talk around the fact that it was um in an area in louisiana that was suffering from chronic teacher shortages so i can imagine that wouldn't have been the easiest place for you to begin your teacher training because you know you would have i guess been inundated and and you know would there have been big classrooms for you well, there it was. You learn on the go. I had, I actually um, had six weeks in Los Angeles um, in 1992. Mm. Um, so it was quite a volatile time. It was right after the riots, and I had gone there for a, a six week training, mm. um, trial by fire in the classroom. And I was actually in a fifth grade classroom, even though I went to a high school setting. So then I just arrived in Louisiana and um, Hurricane Andrew hit. And I didn't know what hurricanes were when I first, I mean, I just thought that they were, you know, overhyped thunderstorms. Yeah. I didn't know. I yeah. mean, we didn't have those where I was from. And all my students um, said, no, no, this is a big deal. And when we started, you know, prepping the classroom mm. to, to get all the desks against the wall. And I thought, um, you know, trial by fire. I, I was mm. waiting for the locust to show up. Was Did I yeah. make the right decision? There seemed to be so many um, 
so many signs that perhaps this wasn't yeah. it. But yeah. once I got to know my community, they were so warm, mm. so loving. Um, they embraced me. Mm. Many of my students had never met anyone from the North and they lovingly called me the pilgrim, which I decided to take as a term of endearment because <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how they meant yeah. it. But um, I, I was embraced by my community mm. and by my students. And I thought, oh, I'm going to make this work. Yeah. Um, and I, that's why I stayed for so long because I was, I didn't want to leave. And, yeah. and really the only reason I left was because the pay was so incredibly low. I couldn't, after a while, I couldn't even make my car payment. Mm. And I thought as much as I, I would like to stay, I, I need to yeah. be, you know, more financially savvy yeah. about my decisions. Yeah. And yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And just going back to the, the bond that you, that you made with, you know, I guess your students and that community, is there something about difficult moments like, like the um, tornado and everything that was experienced in Louisiana. Is there something about that that really bonds and really, you know, solidifies that relationship? Absolutely. In fact, I went to visit a lot of my students after the hurricane. Some, the hurricane, uh, many, yeah. many were living in trailers. Mm. Um, and so they had evacuated. And when they came back, the trailer was gone or the trailer was half mm. a mile down the, mm. the street. It had been blown away. Yeah. Um, you know, and people were living in cars and mm. in makeshift conditions, and yet they showed up. Yeah. You know, they were there to learn. They were there to make the best of a bad situation. And I thought, wow, but talk mm. about resiliency. And that was a, I mean, they, teachers often say they learn far more than they teach from their students. And it's so true because yeah. Yeah. my students and the community taught me that, as long as you have each other, you have everything. Um, you don't need riches. Everything is in the community. And they drew from their churches and they drew from each other. And I thought, wow, it, this is what community is, is really all about. And the way that they embraced everyone in that community, including teachers, including this this woman who had come from Pennsylvania, this pilgrim, um, how did she, you know, what did she know about yeah. us or what, what business did she have being here? But um, it was so great. It was so great. And I think in many ways that sustained me throughout my career because I just thought, wow, it's a privilege to be in this profession. Yeah, absolutely. Where, you know, where um, it's funny, actually, that I love that term that you've um just re referenced teachers learn more than you teach from those 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 engagements and yes it's lovely that you've impacted so many students that potentially not just you I guess your colleague as well that were teaching in those deprived areas that mm -hmm. you know who really needed education and that type of support particularly at that time and so it kind of like you know, so there loads of life lessons, not just for the kids, I'm guessing for you as well. So I'm sure you learned a lot about yourself during that period. I did. Um, and I also, there were culture shocks. It mm. was uh, Cajun country. And there was this interesting French patois that yeah. was spoken yeah. and, and so many different and the Creole culture. And there's so many different yeah. influences that I just found fascinating. Yeah. 
And um, I think that in part is where I developed a, a love and an interest in regionalisms. And mm. that's why I'm always eavesdropping wherever I go to hear how people express themselves and their connection to their community and to nature um, and to the world. And yeah. so there's a way to be a global citizen, but still be invested in your own hometown. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Louisiana, is that where they have the Mardi Gras? Yes, it is. Okay. So that, so Louis, Louisiana on TV looks amazing. So when I've seen the Mardi Gras and how that's celebrated and, you know, whenever it's on TV, all you see is fun, amazing music, people bonding, people having fun. So you've got to experience that. Oh, absolutely. And I remember the year, granted, I was much younger then, um, I wore a green sequin dress. So I looked something of a mermaid and danced on a pool table. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone should do it once. Exactly. Um, Welcome to Louisiana. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, being in the French Quarter um, for Mardi Gras is is quite a treat. It's quite a spectacle for the eye. Yeah. And because you obviously literature is your thing, it must have been incredible hearing the different, you know, language uses the different phrases that potentially you wouldn't have got in Pennsylvania and, all, and sometimes maybe trying to work out actually what does that mean and how is that how does that fit into context and stuff well it, it I loved going to Jackson Square okay. that's where you're going to see the melting pot because you're going to see visitors but you're going to see the locals mm. um you're going to see the people that run the Marie Laveau shop mm. you're going to get into um, the voodoo and the hoodoo and the, and the jazz scene. Mm. Um, and when you go to a musical concert, usually in the parks, there's so much dancing, Yeah, so much dancing. And it, you don't normally see that at other venues, Mm. other music venues. You, You may see little little pockets on the side where people are kind of grooving to the music, but Mm. in new Orleans, it's everyone and it doesn't matter if really? everyone's making a muddy mess on the grass in front of the band like you hear that zydeco you are up and moving yeah. and i uh, i thought wow this little introvert is mm. gonna have to <laughs> step up her game yeah um and take part because you don't want to miss out on those opportunities yeah sometimes life throws things out at you where you cannot miss out and you just have to give it your all and just um embrace it embrace yes, it indeed what I wanted to ask you, so so Jackson Square, what, what is Jackson Square? Sorry. It's kind of the heart of the French Quarter. Okay. And it's a big open area and the architecture. Um, there, there's such a combination of all the influences that came to Louisiana and New Orleans in particular. Um, influences from the Native Americans and, and African culture and Spanish and mm. French. It's just a mixture and a melting pot. And it's so beautiful. And that's kind of where that's the jewel in the crown yeah. for me is Jackson Square. Okay. That Jackson Square is noted. That's on that, that <laughs> that's just gone on my to-do list. <laughs> okay. So super keen to understand so you've got an amazing a book title so i'm keen to learn a little bit about the book but initially i'm keen to get a steer on where the book title came from because i love the book title so everybody's thinking paul tell us what the book title is so the book title is 
find your mini pumpkin life lessons to live with purpose. Well, here's uh, where it came from. When I came back to Pennsylvania, I was teaching freshmen at first and then primarily seniors. And it's hard to get seniors involved in the beauty of Hamlet because their okay. minds are elsewhere. And yeah. they kept saying to me, you know, well, what, what about navigating life? What about getting my license? What about applying mm. to colleges? Can you give mm. us information about that? And at first, you know, I fought against that. And I, I said, oh, but there are 36 dramatic situations in, in literature and life and everything you need to know is in the literature. And they're like, well, that's fine, Miss Short, but could you please tell us about college and jobs and insurance and things like that? So at first, I used to tie a little 10-minute lesson on a Friday to something that we were covering in the literature or in the unit. And then after a while, it just took on a life of its own. I stopped trying to forge and force the connection. And I just went over 10 minutes of navigating the world. And one of the favorite lessons that I gave um, was about mini pumpkins. And in, in the States, in the fall, they're everywhere. I mean, they're the regular size pumpkins, but then they're tiny little yeah. ones that they're, they're gourds, but they're little decorative pumpkins. And they always sell them at the grocery store. So, you know, fall is in full on mode when you when these things start okay. showing up at the grocery store. So I used to buy a few and, and bring them in. And I was so enamored by them. And I don't know why that they, to me, they were just so beautiful. And I would show them to the, my students and they're like, yeah, OK, <laughs> get a life. And that's lovely. Um, but I said, no, no. I mean, just look at the symmetry and the portability. I mean, they're just precious jewels. And mm. it became this this extended metaphor. And I said, it's really not about the pumpkin and it, you might find it silly and that's fine. I said, but when I look at that mini pumpkin, it just makes me smile. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds me that life is good. And although there are many blessings in our lives, the ones that we always talk about friends and family and health and career, I said, sometimes you just need a little serendipitous reminder that, that life is beautiful. And for me, it's the mm. mini pumpkin. So one of my lessons to the students was find your mini pumpkin, mm. find that thing. It doesn't even have to be a tangible thing. It could be a memory. It could be a song lyric. Um, it could be something someone said to you once that just mm. resonates and you'll never forget it. And I said, whatever that is, uh, that's unique to you. It's so important because there are going to be times, especially mm. when you go beyond high school, when you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you meet with disappointment, you're wrestling with grief, you know, the whole range of human mm. emotions, and it's all out there. And it's it's all part of the journey and to be embraced. But when you feel like it's a bit too much, remember your little mini pumpkin, whatever that is, mm. and that will ground you. And so since my students love that, and after they graduated, they would come back and tell me stories of how they bought the little pumpkins for mm. their dorm rooms and beyond. Yeah. And it just seemed to be the one they resonated with the most. And that's why it became the title of the book. Okay. It sounds like it had to become that because it resonated with you. And then it, I guess, led into your students. Was there a point where you realized that the, you know, the, the, the association that you'd got with the, the, the mini pumpkin was impacting your, your life? You were using it in a positive, positive way to send to you when you know, because life has a, hap has a habit, as you say, after we leave college, even at college, of throwing up curveballs periodically. So yes. was, was there a, a time when 
you realize that actually this is really helping you? Well, I seem to, even though I was saying it all the time, you know, you don't necessarily internalize your own mm. lessons, but yeah. I, I learned over time that we have so much more control of how we're feeling than we realize. Yeah. And that if I look at something and it makes me smile and it makes my spirits lift, well, nothing in the world changed. My circumstances didn't change. Everything is exactly mm. the same as it was five minutes ago. But suddenly I feel better and suddenly I feel more hopeful. Mm. And I realized through that lesson in particular that we are in charge of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Mm. And that so much of the wisdom about the decisions and the choices that we need to make comes from within. Because when we think of those things and how it makes us feel, it, it gives us direction. And I think that was the number one thing that students were so afraid of. They were always afraid of making the wrong choice. Mm particularly with colleges, you know, how do I know that I've chosen the right one? And I would often say, doesn't matter which one you choose. It's what you do when you get there. It's what you make of the situation, what you make of the experience. So you can't get that decision wrong if you're fully committed to it and you're looking at it as a great opportunity, which it is, you're going to be fine. And oftentimes for students, they just wanted to hear that things were going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I can you know relate to that because particularly as, as a student you know you you're at that age where you know we're curious to a degree but also we're slightly anxious about life and about what's in front of us and how decisions will impact us positively or negatively and it's you know it's incredibly daunting making the decisions and you don't really think about how you how we can manage that process in terms of making decisions yes and i i would tell my students who were 17 and 18 and again worrying about like well the decisions i do make way leads on to way they're they're going to determine mm. my path yeah and and indeed they will but who's to say that that path has to be linear and mm. some some of the things that impacted my teaching career, my philosophy of life, came from those six years from 22 to 28, where I was just wandering around mm. looking for what resonated. And I met lots of people and I had different jobs. And sometimes I said to myself, well, I know I don't want to do this mm. for 30 years. I'd be miserable. Well, yeah. that in itself is a great lesson to learn. I, I learned through those those years that I didn't want to be an entrepreneur necessarily. Mm. I wanted a framework, but I wanted to have autonomy within the framework. Yeah. And when I think back, that's what teaching is. You know, mm. there are expectations and there's a broader framework and there are curriculum expectations. But when you're in the room with the students and the lesson is unfolding, there's so much that you can direct. And then of yeah. course, when they answer back with, with comments and questions, they are becoming part of the fabric of that lesson. So on the journey, I discovered what I was looking for, and then it finally manifested in becoming a teacher. Yeah. That's, so it's okay. It's it's mm. okay to take your time and and have a few stumbles along the way. It, it makes the journey richer. And you'll mm. those those experiences are never wasted. Yeah, absolutely. And that really ties in to this podcast because there's 
you can we can extract so much from difficult moments those situations that don't go though don't go the way that maybe we planned in our heads right they, they invariably yield lots of really valuable information that can be used positively in other in, in our next steps in our next decisions mm-hmm. as you were talking i was thinking around particularly going thinking about you know students and so forth particularly those guys that there's a lot of pressure in terms of decisions not just from them but from our peers and also our parents who sometimes want us to do things that they think you know for the right reasons and for, right. for love and for you know that we have a bright future they might suggest that we go down a path that seems sensible and so I guess I'm, I'm driving at there's a lot of pressure there you know do you have any advice around that or do you have any thoughts around that particularly you know your background with students I guess my advice would be to keep the conversation open. I mean, neither of my parents had the opportunity to go to college. Yeah. So of course, when I came along, that was non-negotiable. Now I wanted to go, but I, and I, I'm, I know that they looked at college as a great doorway of opportunity, but oftentimes parents do want to live vicariously through their students. And oftentimes other people would say to me, well, why do you want to be an English major? There's no money in it. Mm. And I thought, wow, I'm sure a lot of people hear that, you know, go into fill in the blank mm. because their jobs are opening up or you're going to have a, a better career. But if your heart's not in it, then that's that's no gift. And I think the the answer is to keep the lines of communication open between students, children and their parents and say, I know you want the mm. best for me but I want you to listen to what is in my heart and what I'm mm. passionate about. And if you can keep that dialogue open, parents just want their kids to be happy and secure mm. and safe. That's all they want. Mm. It's not like they want them necessarily to be a doctor or an engineer. That seems to be the pathway to happiness and security. So if you sit down with your, your parents, if you are a student or a young person and say, I know this is what you want for me. I can find that through my own path. Yeah. And I so yeah. love that you care mm-hmm. about me enough to give me this advice. I think that meeting of the minds can solve a lot of those problems mm-hmm. at working at, at, at different angles, trying to come to the same solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way of framing a response to parents, which acknowledges that you appreciate their love and their ideas and their 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 support but you've got you know a different way of of reaching the same outcome yeah and to students that sometimes said to me well my parents don't let me do this and i said well yes but how responsible have you been mm. if you're only complaining they're probably setting parameters that they think that you need how about seeing where they're coming from yeah um you know and that little shift in perspective can make your folks feel like you're ready mm. to make these decisions for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. There's an, an an excerpt in the book where you say the goal of the book is to offer opportunities to pause and reflect. And I, that resonated with me because life, you know, not just for students, for all of us is a hundred miles an hour. Oh yes. And that, taking literally even 60 seconds in a day 
to actually sit, you know, Monday to Friday or whatever schedule people work or, you know, they're doing whatever their daily activities are to even take a moment to actually reflect, pause and think. I actually don't do that enough. It's it's so key. And like you say, it can be 60 seconds. It doesn't have to be mm. a formal commitment. But I think we get so embroiled in our routines and our commitments mm. where everyone's so busy, everyone's doing so much. Um, and we do have responsibilities. We have families, perhaps we have children. Um, it's not that you want to shirk those responsibilities, but just become mindful in why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. And one of those reminders came, and I speak of this in the book about the morning commute. I had a 45 minute drive um, at my last school. Before that, I had an hour and a half drive each way to a school um, where I was teaching. And boy, you meet a lot of angry people on the road. Yeah. And everyone you can see, they're like a 10 and two on the steering wheel, and they just have this laser focus and everyone's snarling. Mm. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. And because we're all creatures of habit, I would see the same people every day mm. wearing the same expression. And I would often think, you know, I wonder where that person's going. They certainly want to get there first, but are they happy when they get mm. there? And sometimes we don't even question yeah, because yeah. We're, we're getting a steady paycheck. <laughs> we've got benefits. So, you know, crack on and let's, let's yeah. keep doing this. Um, but it's so important to take those moments of reflection. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to abandon mm. your job, but you, you might want to ask yourself why you seem so stressed and angry mm. on the way. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, in take Again, going back to what I said before, because life is so hectic, 100 miles an hour, you know, you can go an entire year. Now, we're, at, you know, we're sort of getting towards the end of the year. You can go an entire year where, you know, that opportunity to pause and reflect can change your life. Yes. In, you know, it can change your life in terms of am I happy? Am I fulfilled? You know, going back to what you talk about, purpose you know, do I get purpose from what I do on a daily basis or, or even some parts of what I do on a daily basis? Do I, or am I on a hamster wheel where I'm kind of exist? I'm here physically. I engage with people. I, you know, I, on my commute or on my zoom call, I do all the, the logical things, but actually am I fulfilled? Am I, you know, do I get you know, that rush of adrenaline when I do something in my daily activities. And, you know, I think that's an interesting quandary. So often I think people are afraid to ask themselves, am I mm. happy? Am I fulfilled? They're afraid of the answer. Mm. And I say, there's no reason to be afraid. Mm. The worst that could happen is you would say, you know, I'm not happy. Mm. I'm not fulfilled. Mm. Okay. And that's the situation. What can you do to start to change it? Mm. Because if you don't change it now and you ask yourself the same question or fail to ask yourself the same question five or 10 mm. years from now, that's five or 10 more years yeah. that you could have lived a more fulfilling life. So it, there's no reason to fear the question. And if, if you decide you're not where you want to be, what a great opportunity to start to change it. Like I said, the, the power resides within. Yeah. Um, you get to decide how you're going to look at something. And sometimes those very small changes, when you follow that trajectory, they have a great impact. Yeah. So you don't have to make a 180. You don't have to like throw out everything in your life. You just make some conscious 
changes or forge some relationships Mm. or renew relationships or strengthen them or whatever it might be. If you're not happy in your job, you don't have to leave it. But think to yourself, what drew me to this job in the first Mm. place? What parts of it do I like? Can I capitalize on those? Um, There's all different ways to reconfigure what you're already doing. And when people see that you're exercising that creativity to lead a more fulfilling life, it's infectious and people will help you. There's so many people will that help you to realize a vision. Um, I, I talk about mentors and cultivating them because people want to help. They really do. Um, but nobody wants to ask, Yeah, you know, and if we could all just get over that, ask, ask the, the difficult questions, but recognize them as portals to opportunity and know that everyone's in the same boat and, and that's okay. And it, and start simple and get the ball rolling. Yeah. I like that phrase portal to opportunities. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's definitely a, a, a key, a key phrase. And, and again, sort of leaning into leaning into what you were saying. I think that when, you know, we're in a, I don't know, we've been doing something for a period of time and maybe we we're not feeling fulfilled in that. I think sometimes we think about, all the work that we've put in, say like we were in a career for 10 years mm-hmm. and the idea of, and maybe, you know, we've achieved whatever we've achieved over that period of time. So we've done, so there's an achievement in there and also there's a time span and then to do something else, it potentially will seem like, you know, I'm starting from scratch. And Well, I definitely, I felt that way myself. Mm. Because yeah. I had been in teaching for 28 years and suddenly I wasn't teaching anymore. And I had made the mistake of identifying so fully as a teacher. It was so a yeah. part of my identity that then when I wasn't being a teacher, at least a public school in a traditional sense, then who was I? But what I quickly realized was that I still have a skill set. Mm. <laughs> you can transfer it from the classroom to other things. My love of literature, my love of the written and the spoken word, um, my desire to be a teacher in a broader sense, none of those things had I lost. They were all part of who I was. It was just pivoting and reapplying them in a new way. And that's why I say experience, education, um, none of those pursuits are ever wasted because you can always use them in a new context mm. and reimagine them. Yeah. So I know, and for me, you know, I was, I'm older. Um, I wasn't at retirement age, but I felt it was time to do something new. So often people who are in their fifties or sixties mm. might think, Oh, you know, it's too late. I don't have time to reinvent myself. And I say, nonsense. Um, you can always reinvent mm. yourself and the past just becomes a rich tapestry of all mm. you have to offer. Yeah. So I've, I've said, I, in this conversation, I said, I I love a lot what you've said. And that's another <laughs> example because I definitely feel that, you know, mindset is very important because our mindset can be for us or against us. So it, it, just based on the way that we used it, it sounds like you were able to, you know, shift your mindset in a positive way to actually embrace not being a teacher anymore and utilizing 
your skills and and your um experiences in in another area when you did you know when you made that shift were, were you mentored did you have a coach did you do it all on your own what was that how did that process work for you well when i I, I went back to when people give me advice that I don't listen to because I'm being too stubborn. Yeah. And this time around, when I left teaching and suddenly I had all this time on my hands, I remembered what my students had said to me. For years, they had said, why don't you write a book? Okay. Why don't you compile all those lessons? And my response was always like, oh, no, the magic is in the classroom. You know, it's a live interaction. I came up with all these excuses and they're like, well, yeah, but you should you should really do it. <laughs> Yeah. I, I like when students, they just cut through it all there. And I thought, yeah, I, I don't have the excuse if I don't have time, I have to grade essays. Um, and this is a way for it to live on and be reimagined. So at first, it was just in the classroom, and the lessons were tailored primarily <laughs> to graduating seniors. But as I started to review the material and the lessons, um, and some of my students had actually given me a book where they had written down a whole catalog of the lessons I had given. Okay. And they gave it to That's me. That's amazing. Said, yeah, That's no amazing. Now I still have that treasure. And then as I started to write the book, I realized there were some lessons that were particularly important for graduating seniors, yeah. whether from high school or college. But so much of the book, it, it, it won't come as a surprise to older people, to adults, but it it's nice to be reminded that there's nothing that is earth shattering or new. It's, it's pretty recognizable, but that's sort of the magic because so often when we're moving at a million miles an hour and juggling so many things, we forget the basics about how to take care of ourselves, um, make good decisions, check in with our heart. And it can serve as a reminder, not just a primer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am. Um, I've just written down what was the the book process like for you actually writing a book. I imagine it, it, it without putting words in your mouth. I can imagine it must have been quite therapeutic, and um, I'm sure you learned a lot during that process as well. It was. It it was nice to see all the lessons together. Um, because before it just been a little scribble in a notebook yeah. for me, and then I would I'd do it spontaneously in the moment. And over the years, it, they would change, and mm. some stories would have a rhythm to them. Um, but to see them all together was interesting, and to try to put them into chapters where um, they were of they were like minded, mm. but yet created a variety. And one comment I've gotten often, which I didn't anticipate. Um, from people who have read the book is, you know, you can read this book from cover to cover sequentially in the order that it's given, but it's much better to just read a chapter at a time and give it some mm. thought. Yeah. And I, that's come up so often. Mm. And I thought, wow, I never thought about that. And a lot of people have said it's it's a book that should sit on the bedside table mm, yeah. because you don't want to take it in all at once yeah. and get overwhelmed. Just a little nugget. And if it applies to me, let me just give it some thought and then come back when I want the next piece of mm. advice. Yeah. It almost, there's a couple of things coming to my head. It almost um, going back to that reflection bit, that, uh, that reflection piece, read a chapter, absorb it, reflect and, you know, utilize it. Cause I think sometimes with books, and I think sometimes in my experience, you might 
read a good book and then a lot of it kind of goes into the ether and you mm-hmm. don't so you kind of have to read it again and again before some of it sinks in but I like the idea of reading the, you know to engage your book to read it you know read a chapter engage it and I think at that point you can absorb a lot more and think actually how does that how does that chapter compute with my life or compute with where I want to take my life right and it I suspect it's a lot better than trying to do new year's resolutions yes there's so much pressure there yeah. you know um you're going to make it or you're not you're, you're mm. going to hit the goal or you don't mm. um and there doesn't seem to be any peace for reflection yeah. with those so i like the slow process there doesn't have to be a, a date or a time mm. it's it's just a commitment to be more thoughtful yeah absolutely and in terms of what you'd recommend in terms of age span what does that look like for you? You know, at, at what age, you know, the people listening, can they, would you recommend that they engage with your book? I guess my, my first demographic would, would be young people mm. um, just starting out in the world or people that are experiencing a transition. Mm. So they've had one life yeah. that they understand. Maybe they're going to a new job. Mm. Um, maybe they're getting married. Um, and suddenly what worked for you is now a different conversation when you were two, as far as finances or outlook on life. So I think for young people making their way in the world and for people experiencing, yes, a transition from one place to another, it's a way to remind them I'm still me. I still have my core values, but maybe it's time for a little refresh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that particularly at the moment, it's been such a weird couple of years. There's been so much going on. And I think there is a lot of transition. And what I think a lot of us, a lot of us struggle with is change, transition. How do we do that? It feels very uncomfortable. So we become, you know, very anxious and um, slightly slightly nervous about making changes and and it, and I guess that taps into confidence so I like what your how you can you know engage your book and just help you through transition which is really difficult yes and it's it's so true particularly on a global scale these years have impacted everyone yeah um the silver lining can sometimes be a, a reevaluation mm. you're forced to change you wouldn't have chosen it but what is life going to look like now? Yeah. And how how can I exercise more autonomy over my choices than I mm. thought I could? And you know, nobody would have asked for this. And, and there have been mm. repercussions that have certainly been negative. But it's never a bad thing to take an opportunity um, that you had no control over and say, wait a minute, how can I allow this to impact my view of the world. Yeah. Here's here's a new angle. I hadn't thought of that before. Mm. Wouldn't have welcomed it on my own, but how can I integrate it into the whole? Yeah, absolutely. So you essentially using events for you, even if it's negative, it's almost like reframing it because we can reframe, yes. but it's allowing our, our mindset to, to, to work with our mindset and not work with, you know, the, so I think 
so I, I definitely feel that your book is wonderful for people university and upwards because uh, as soon as we go to you know not you maybe even college I mean college I mean so slightly younger because I think that as soon as we get to that point where life becomes a little bit more serious it does you go to college you've got exams to do and then you've got a whole list of you know you've got a pathway to think about and at that point <laughs> invariably the pathway is never like is never a straight line it's going to be it's going to be bumpy and you know we're not given a because you're you know your book is almost like a it's you you know a sort of a bible you know you can look at different chapters to support you in different areas and you know you can use it throughout your journey yeah i i mean i wow and what a <laughs> What a compliment. Thank you. Mm. Um, but yeah, and and people, here's the thing. If people read something and they say, oh, I don't agree with that at all. Perfect. You know, it's just, again, I love the word reframing mm. because it's, it's a reminder to examine what mm. you think is important. Yeah. If you read something and you're like, well, that's not the way I would do it, mm. then what an opportunity to embrace the way you would yeah. do it because you're listening to yourself and you're listening to your heart and you know, people know what resonates when mm. you know, when you hear something and it, or you, you experience something and it feels right, mm. you know, and oftentimes the, the disappointments, it sounds cliche, but it's, it's true. The disappointments are the greatest teachers. Yeah. Oftentimes when success comes, we, we take it for granted, mm. you know, we're on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, but the, the times in our life that give us pause are the ones where we met with with disappointment, maybe even tragedy, mm. and learning how to emerge with a greater sensibility and wisdom and compassion for the world is a gift unto itself mm. that often we don't recognize for a while because yeah. we're in the grieving period or we're in the disappointment and we get embroiled in that. Mm. But when we get just a little bit of distance, we can see Mm. that even that experience had its gifts to yeah. offer. Yeah, well, I think that is really insightful and really important and really is in line with, you know, why I do this podcast because, you know, negative events can really stop us in our tracks. And, you know, and, you know, and, and they can be really debilitating in terms of we don't think that there's a you know like a way a way out of it but i think the ability that you're you know provide you know giving you know readers of your book is in a is i like what you said sort of earlier uh, around the way that you, if you know if you hear something and it's not not if you hear me saying somebody something or somebody saying something and it doesn't resonate with you that's that's kind of new information you've learned mm -hmm. something about yourself so that's really important and i don't and it's almost you need we need to take a moment to reflect on that because sometimes we don't we just think it but actually don't realize actually there's a really important clue what are you going to do with that clue <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah again all the things never wasted the conversations yeah. the um, the disagreements, mm. um, they can be wonderful opportunities mm. to define ourselves and recommit mm. ourselves to what we believe is important. Yeah, absolutely. So for people listening now, that, that you know, obviously we're going to tell them where they can get the book and so forth. But for people now that 
are thinking, actually, this could be my mini pumpkin because there could be something in their life that just gives them that sense of warmth, gives them that sense of excitement, excitement, but they've never really taken a moment to think, actually, this is it. So what would you say to people listening now? Well, there are a couple of ways to do it. Um, one way is to give yourself permission to daydream. Okay. Because when you daydream, that you think about things, they come to you and without rhyme or reason, that's a way to find mm. your mini pumpkin. Um, another way is to consider what keepsakes you have. Everybody has a little box Mm. squirreled away. Maybe you have letters in it. Maybe you have things with which you just cannot part. Mm. Why? Why are you holding on to that? Why is it special? And to recommit yourself. And then um, I have this other sort of a, a life hack for finding your mini pumpkin, which sounds a bit strange, but I offer this as well. In the States, we have um, paint strips where they have like the different gradations of blue. If you want to paint your wall blue, okay. it'll have like yeah. five different blues on yeah. it. And when you ask someone, what's your favorite color? Almost everyone has an answer. Very few people are like, eh, you know, not really. I, I could care less. Um, everyone has their favorite, but then you say, well, what hue of that color do you like? Mm. And they're like, oh, you know, if you like blue, is it a royal blue? Is it sunflower blue? What kind of blue? So you go to the hardware store, you go to the paint store and you get all the swatches of blue. Yeah. And then you pick the one that you like the best. And then you look for it in the world. And you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Mm, yeah. And it's just a reminder of it's it's there in plain sight. And that's kind of a little test to see, does that crop up? Does that just mm. that signature color of blue? Yeah. Do I see it in my daily life? Chances are you will. And then it, it just, it starts opening up your imagination and and you will find it. Okay, lovely, lovely, and um, and I mentioned this. So, for people that um, are listening to this, that are thinking, "I need to get this book." Where's the best place for them to get the book? Um, the best place is Amazon. Okay, um, that's probably the easiest. It's also in Barnes and Noble. Okay, lovely. So, what we can do, we can put links on the website so people can, you know, it's easy for people um, to access and. I, I took the liberty of downloading a lovely PDF from you yesterday. So for people that um, want to maybe learn more about you and the work that you do and just become more familiar, where's the best place for people to engage? Uh, the best place is via my website, okay, which is author victoriashort.com okay lovely and that again will go on the um on the on the show notes so victoria we have a, a reoccurring question on the podcast and the reoccurring question is so if you could invite three inspirational people for dinner who might you invite so here are my three um the first would be emily dickinson and what i've always wanted to know was how she saw the whole world and the human condition without traveling very far from mm. one room. And I, it's, I've always been fascinated mm. by that, how she could look out her window um, and just see in the nature before her the keys to the universe and the range of human emotions. And boy, does she capture it. I actually 
quote one of her poems um, in my book when I talk about what depression feels like, because I'm always going back to the great masters yeah. and she, she identifies it mm. so well in a certain slant of light. Yeah. And I thought, what, a, what a master. And mm. she wasn't a world traveler, mm. but she was savvy about the ways of the world. And yeah. I've always wanted, I would love to, to have the opportunity to ask her how she was able to master that. The second person would be William Shakespeare. Um, in some ways, kind of the opposite of a character, very worldly. Mm. Um, I always wanted to, as silly as this might sound, I wanted to ask him about work-life balance because mm. <laughs> here he was with a family and producing plays and writing plays. And there's a rumor afoot that he used to do his writing in pubs in the evening <laughs> really? because the candlelight was free. Really? Yeah, right. Well, meanwhile, there are all these scuffles going on around <laughs> him and, and noise and, and mayhem. But there he was scribbling down the great classics because of mm. the free candlelight. Don't know if that's true. But I imagine he was writing in the evenings because mm. he the, the plays were performed during the day and there were there were business um elements to deal with. So I don't know when else he could have possibly mm. been been have writing everything. So I've always been curious about how he made that work. <laughs> and if he could write in a in a pub, I mean there's no excuse for any of the rest of us to be writing anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I was just thinking there's going to be um, a stampede of people listening to this who are authors going to pubs and just <laughs> saying the inspiration you know, was here yeah, all along. Yeah, Get myself brawl. a pint and then exactly. here it will flow. Exactly. Um, the third person is actually my uncle. Okay. Who's passed away. Um, we never did get on. Yeah. When he was alive, um, we were very different personalities, but he was a master. In fact, mm. he was a master chef, so he could be cooking the dinner that yeah. we're all yeah, you know, okay. attending. Yeah. Um, but he was such a creative spirit. And when I was younger, I didn't appreciate it. Mm. Um, and he would create restaurants and, the, and they'd be very successful. And then he'd grow bored and he'd go on to the next thing. And he had a wonderful way of knowing when the tipping point was to yeah. go to what was next. He really? seemed to just ha dance through mm. just a litany of successes. Um, he had his vices to be sure, but I mm. think that he would be such a wealth of information yeah. about a life well lived. Yeah. And I, I do wish I'd had the opportunity to speak to him more. Sounds, he sounds fascinating. Yes. A fascinating guy. Victoria, I've um, loved this conversation as I, knew I would. If I can just ask you one last question. So for people that are, are listening now that really want to, you know, maybe there's something they can do now just to focus on their life lessons and move to that next phase of their life. What would you um, say? I'm going to tell them to buy your book, but there might be one piece of information that you think actually this could help you start the process. My students would ask me what what was the worst thing in the world? This this sounds rather negative, but mm. trust me, it has a silver lining. And I said, I think the worst thing in the world is regret and to live a life that where you have less regret. Yeah. And they said, well, how do we decide? And I said, well, here's the litmus test. Here's what you ask yourself. If the worst thing that could happen if you do this thing you're considering is a felony conviction, then you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> if the worst thing that could happen is that you're embarrassed. 
mm-hmm. then you probably should. Yeah. So, you know, ask the person out. Mm. So they say no. Mm. It's a learning experience. Mm. There'll be other people yeah. to ask. And you'll never have to wonder, I wonder what could mm. have been. Mm. Um, so I want people, you know, be mindful in your life, think things through. I mean, nobody's going to throw caution mm. to the wind and do crazy stuff. But the advice I would have given to my younger self was to take more risks. Yeah. Because I was so careful about following the path mm. and finding my way. Um, and the the joy is those little trails mm. to the side. Mm. So sometimes you just have to say, hey, if if I'm gonna feel foolish, but that's about the worst I can think of happening, do yourself a favor and grab onto that opportunity. Yeah. Because re- regret very, very real, and it's something that you that you mentioned when I was researching you around listening to your gut. So we should listen to the, our gut and take the opportunity to act. Yes, it is. Is it a great divining rod to what will bring you joy? Okay, lovely, Victoria. Thank you so much. I've had a wonderful time talking to you. I've learned a lot, and I'm excited to hear maybe people um, buy the book and they um, enjoy it. Maybe they can write in and contact Victoria and, you know, explain how they're using it and so forth. That would be great. Thank you so much, Paul. You're very welcome. And thank you everybody for tuning into this episode of my perfect failure. And um, we're always looking to grow the show. So please do share the podcast far, far, far and wide even. And your feedback is most welcome, good or bad always keen to look at ways to improve in the podcast. Um, any feedback, you can find me at paul at myperfectfailure.com or via the website. There's a contact form there. So until the next time, take care for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.